Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. It is going to be a good one today as we go over Proverbs chapter 6. It tells us all kinds of spiritual gems that we can apply to our life. So let's go ahead and let's get to it. Now our main text once again is Proverbs chapter 6 and it says this, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and from the bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which have no captain, overseer, or ruler. Provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually and sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall he be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness, who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you are awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her lure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get. And his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give him many gifts. Wow, this chapter is just full of gems, spiritual gems, that that, I mean, we could be mining on this for weeks and weeks and weeks if we really wanted to. 
But instead, we're just going to quickly go over a few things here. And the first thing that I want to point out is found in verses 6 through 8, and it's the example of the ant. And once again, verses 6 through 8 is what I said, but it's 6 through 11 that we're going to be going over. It says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways, be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of their hands to sleep. So shall poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, we need to understand something here. When it goes and it says that the ant has no captain, overseer, or ruler, uh, this is really getting at something that is important, and that is that the ant is responsible and self-motivated. It's not making some weird claim about being an island to yourself and, and rejecting authority or something like that. That's not what it's getting at. What it's saying is that the ant is responsible and self-motivated to go and to get stuff done. This is saying that you don't need the ant, if you're going to be like the ant, that you shouldn't need someone to constantly pester you to do your job. You know, we've all seen that before. Perhaps we've even been there in life that, that somebody just is not going to do their job, do what they're supposed to do, unless someone comes up behind them and constantly says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Come on, have you done that yet? Come on, have you done this yet? Come on, do this, do this, do this. But the ant is not like that at all. The ant goes and it knows it has a responsibility and it goes out and it does it. Are you self-motivated? Do you realize that you have responsibilities, that there are things that you are called to go and to do, and somebody shouldn't have to go and to hold your hand all the way through it? You should be like the ant and be self-motivated to get the job done. The interesting thing is that it, it, it goes and it says this next. It talks about seasons with the ant. It says, who provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. That's an interesting thing about the ant that we should really learn from because the ant understands what season it's in and it works according to the season. You know, part of the sluggard's problem isn't that he doesn't, un or excuse me, is that he doesn't understand what season it is. See, the sluggard procrastinates. That's what a sluggard does. It's not that the slugger doesn't have good intentions. It's not that the slugger doesn't intend to do the work. It's that the slugger doesn't realize that now is the season to get it done. The slugger just misses this. The problem is, is that good intentions don't allow you to gather food in the winter. Good intentions don't allow you to gather food in the winter. See, you need to realize what season you're in in your life. And you need to go, and whether that's a season of preparation, as it talks about with the ant, that the, the, the ant prepares in a certain time, she, she prepares her supplies in the summer, or if it's a season not of preparation, but a season of harvesting, of going out and getting stuff done, of gathering the fruit. That might be the season that you're in in your life. I'm not sure. There's all kinds of seasons. You could be in a number of different seasons, but you need to realize the season that God has placed you in in your life, and you need to walk 
in that season. That's a lesson we can take from the ant. See, a lot of times, I think that we just boil down the the lesson of the ant and say, oh, go be diligent, go be diligent. But it says a lot about the ant here. There's a ton of stuff that there is to learn about the ant. It's not just go be diligent. It's it's be responsible. It's be self-motivated. It's that you ought to be in the season that you are in and to labor in the season that God has placed in your life. We need to accept that season. We need to see that season and we need to labor accordingly. Now, of course, there is also the obvious lesson of the ant too, which is be diligent. There is be diligent, and we do need to say this because diligence is important. So it's not just that we're drawing other things from the ant at the cost of diligence. No, we're drawing diligence still from the ant and being reliable and being responsible and being self-motivated and, of course, working in the season of life that we're in. But, of course, also be diligent. One of the greatest hindrances to diligence, though, I don't know if you caught this while we're reading it, it's the desire to sleep. Now, there's something that needs to be said about sleep because th- this is important, and I know it seems like a silly thing, but I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who were perhaps well-intended, they wanted to do great things in life, that they, they were they were even nice people, but, but how many times I've looked at people and had this conversation where they just tell me, oh, I'm so tired and I just can't go and do this, you know, I just can't do that because, oh, I just didn't get good sleep last night and I'm just so tired. And then I come and talk to them and as I find out, and I'm not, you know, trying to go and sound great or anything like that because there are people who sleep a lot less than me, but I come to find out that they got four more hours of sleep than I did. It's just that if they don't get their 16 hours of sleep or 12 hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep, you know, and two naps or whatever it might be, they just feel like they can't function. One of the things you need to understand is that one of the greatest hindrances to diligence is the desire to sleep a little folding of the hands, a little slumber. And ultimately, what this is getting at is that it is a lack of discipline in the person's life, a lack of diligence, a lack of discipline. See, everybody wants to sleep more. That's the reality of it. And and some of you probably need to hear that, that everybody wants to sleep more. And sleep, understand something, it's not a bad thing, but it must follow getting the work done. Be responsible, labor in season, be diligent, then go and sleep. The next thing I want us to see here this morning is the things that God hates. Verses 16 through 19, it says this, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So here are the the, the things, the seven things that are an abomination to God. Yes, six of them God hates. It, It says this, a proud look. Now, what is somebody who has a proud look? Well, it's somebody who has the wrong view of self. You know, and Philippians 2, it tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
Now, if we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, and then it goes and it says that Christ didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, does that mean that we're to go and to believe ourselves to be equal with God? No, absolutely not. That's not what that passage is getting at in Philippians 2. What that passage is getting at is that Jesus had an accurate view of himself, and of course, he is God, so therefore, we need to have the mind of Christ in us, which means we need to have an accurate view of ourself. A proud look, somebody who's prideful, somebody who's arrogant, has the wrong view of themselves. Now, of course, if you have the wrong view of yourself, that means you haven't rightly looked up to get a glimpse of God. Because when we see God for who he is, we can't help but truly see who we are. And of course, when we truly see who we are, that it was when we were yet sinners that Christ died for us, that it was that that, that God loved us us before there was of anything of value, before he comes in and redeems us, he loves us. We understand that there is value in our life, but we also understand that there is a great sinfulness in our life and that it is more of him and less of me that we ought to be desiring. God hates a proud look. The next thing is, is a lying tongue someone who is against the truth. Now, Jesus says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, of course, this is part of who God is, is truth. So, therefore, we know that all lies are from the devil, who is the father of lies. And so, therefore, a lying tongue is something that God hates because he is truth. Now, it wasn't just that he said he was the truth in that passage in John 14, 6. He also said he was the life. And of course, the next thing that God says that he hates are hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. God is life itself. He is the giver of life. He is the self-existent one. Nobody gave life to God. God gives life to everything else and everyone else. So therefore, he hates when somebody goes and takes the life of someone who is innocent, somebody who sheds innocent blood. That's why God hates abortion so much. And because God hates it so much, you too should hate abortion. The next thing it says is that a heart that devises wicked plans. Simply put, God hates an evil mind, an evil mind a mind that is going out and devising evil things, thinking on the evil that they can go and cause. But the interesting thing is, is that he doesn't just leave it in the mind. The next thing it says is that feet that run to evil. God doesn't just hate an evil mind. He also hates evil actions. And those evil actions often start in an evil mind. And that's why we need to give such great care to our mind. Are you paying attention and guarding your heart and guarding your mind? You ought to because God hates it when evil creeps into those things. Don't have evil thoughts. Think on what is good and right. The next thing it says is that a false witness. Now, this is something, this is hating your neighbor, being against your neighbor. We saw before a lying tongue that he hates. 
And that's, of course, because he is truth, and this is also where it flows to that, is is with truth, is God is truth, so therefore he also hates a false witness against the neighbor there, because that's lying. But specifically, God hates it when you lie about your neighbor, when you're lying to intentionally hurt your neighbor. A false witness is the idea of perjuring yourself in the court of law so that you can damage or hurt your neighbor. God created mankind and he looked at Adam and he said, look, it's not good for him to be alone. And so he created a perfect helpmeet for Adam and Eve was Adam's first neighbor. We see that. Now, she was much more than just a neighbor to Adam, but she was a neighbor. God created us to live in community with one another, and that is important. We see that relationship, and this is one of the things what why God stands far above false gods like Allah, because Allah doesn't, it isn't a trinity. There is no community with Allah. See, God is the Godhead there. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship between the three who are, of course, in one unity. We, we understand that. But there is a relationship there, and we, as human beings, are to go and to reflect that in life. And so when you are going and bearing false witness against your labor, or this last thing that's mentioned here, one who sows discord, you're actually going and attacking one of the images of God, not not one of the images, but one of the things that reflects the image of God, and that is the community that we have and that he created us for when he said, it's not good for you to live alone. It's also not good for you to damage those horizontal relationships. He hates it when you do that. The last thing I want us to see here this morning is the danger of adultery. And it says this in verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He does so destroys his, he who does so destroys his own soul. See, you need to understand something. Sexual sin is dangerous. If you don't understand how dangerous it is, well, then you're going to fall into it. And if you do understand how dangerous it is, then you would keep yourself from it. Therefore, you lack understanding if you fall into sexual sin. See, sexual sin, it's rampant today, and that's why I want to mention it here. I know we're running out of time. But it is rampant in today's day and age, so you need to be aware of it. And of course, sexual sin, it destroys the soul. You know, the the phrase that's used a lot in our in our world today is, why would God care that what I do in my bedroom? And you need to understand that thinking, that question itself is from the devil. God does care. He cares vastly about you. He created you. He formed you and he has a purpose for you. So of course he cares about every aspect of your life and especially a sin that it says destroys your soul. And sexual sin does destroy the soul. And there are some outward signs of this as well. We think about STDs that literally destroys the flesh. And of course that physical reality reflects a spiritual reality. But also, when you go and you look at sexual sins, specifically when it comes to, uh, to, to lusting problems, we go and we see that this is literally a reprogramming of the mind scientifically. People, when they're going and watching pornography, it goes and it reprograms 
programs their mind to act in a certain way. Literally, they've gone and done studies on these kinds of things. And of course, there is a searing of the conscience that happens when you fall into sexual sin as well. One of the things that I've noticed, and I've seen this so many times, is that those who are quite clearly in sexual sin go and condone other sexual sins, and they assume that if you stand against sexual sin, you secretly must be in the midst of sexual sin. That is what they go and they always throw out there. And why is that? It's because their conscience is seared. It's because they're in sexual sin and their soul is being destroyed. If that's you today, let me encourage you of something. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to confess your sin. You need to go and to say the same as what God says. It is, and that is sin, which means you need to see it the same way, and that is Jesus dying on the cross for that sin that you're committing. You need to go into confess your sin and repent of it, turn away from that sin so that your life can be pure and holy once again. Well, today we have seen both the things that God hates and the dangers of sexual morality, and one of the best ways to keep yourself from these things are to keep yourself busy for God. So go to the ant and be responsible. Know what season you are in in your life. And of course, be diligent. Thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8 and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that warrior.